0: Well, good morning. If you have in your Bibles, turn with me to Ruth chapter 1. Ruth chapter 1 will be in verses 19 through 21 this morning. I bring you greetings from your brothers and sisters of North Hills PCA in Meridianville, Alabama. Uh, Coming and preaching at Redeemer always feels like a kind of a homecoming to me, though admittedly a little... Less so this morning as a, I'm in a new facility. Uh, all my memories are of the old building, but I'm glad to be here and I rejoice in the Lord blessing you all and doing good to you and having this space. And I was t- reminded that I might need to give an introduction of myself because it's been a few years and uh, faces come and go. And uh, Just so you guys know, I was blessed to spend many years here at Redeemer in college. I came here in 2010 and graduated in 2013. i led youth ministry while I was here, was involved in men's ministry and other things, and I moved away to seminary in 2014 to St. Louis a Covenant Seminary, uh, where I met my wife Rachel up there, and I ran out of money and had to come back home to Huntsville, and I took her with me, brought her back to God's country, and we lived in Huntsville for a little bit of time, then moved back to Florence in 2016 uh, for her work, and I was able to serve as pastoral intern here at that time. Did youth and men's ministry and uh, uh, Sunday school, other types of things. And then we moved to Huntsville at the tail end of 2019, and Rachel's job took her back that way. And um, so we moved to Huntsville in 2020. I finished seminary at Birmingham Theological Seminary and was installed as assistant pastor at North Hills PCA in 2021. Uh, though we've been here, uh, though we've been here off and on for many uh, years. Um, Oh, excuse me. Though we've uh, many familiar faces have kind of come and gone, but we both have fond memories of Redeemer, and we thank God for the saints of Redeemer, uh, past and present. And it's a joy to be with you here this morning. So I'm going to read our text for this morning, Ruth chapter one, verses nineteen through twenty-one. Then we'll pray, and we'll dig into it. Hear now the word of the Lord. So the two of them went on until they came to Bethlehem. When they came to Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the women said, Is this Naomi? And she said to them, Do not call me Naomi. Call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went away full, and the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has testified against me, and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me? Join me in prayer. Father in heaven, we thank you this morning for this opportunity to come together, to hear your word preached, to sing your word, to sing praises to you, to pray to you. And we ask now, as we come to your scriptures, as we come to your word, that your spirit would be at work among us. Lord, convicting us of sin, encouraging us in righteousness, uh, comforting us in our sorrows, leading us into all truth. Lord, use your word this morning. Open our eyes to behold wondrous things out of your law. And may we love you. And enjoy you more in Christ's name. Amen. I keep a a special picture on my phone. It's a picture of Rachel at a family July 4th party in 2020. Other than her being gorgeous in it, there's no obvious reason why it's special to me or why I keep it. And Maybe that's part of why I like it. It's a, a normal picture at a normal event with normal things. It's a slice of time. Frozen in place back when things were normal. It's the last picture I have of Rachel before she was diagnosed with cancer later that week. Uh, Breast cancer at 29 is incredibly improbable. It was a shock to us, to the doctors, our families, and friends. And the next year or so was one of the worst times in our lives. As we dealt with chemo, radiation, and side effects, and sorrow, and changed plans, and so much, much more. We suffered. We suffered. But eventually, through prayer and the love and support of our wonderful church and family and friends, and through chemo and radiation, we, we made it, and the tumor disappeared, and Rachel was in remission. And we were relieved. We began picking up the pieces of our broken lives. We bought a house. We got puppies and pigs and chickens. I got a new job at a Christian school in Huntsville teaching ninth grade Old Testament, along with my pastoral responsibilities. And Rachel's hair and energy and health were started turning. Everything was Going well, and everything was full of hope and happiness. And then April 1st of last year, Rachel had her first scan since finishing chemo. She went to the doctor, and I went to school. None of, neither of us were very worried. It was very soon after chemo. There was no way anything was wrong. I went to school, and my ninth graders were going through the Book of Ruth at the time. And we were at the passage we read this morning. We talked about Naomi and her life and her suffering and her response to her suffering. Naomi and her family had left Israel because there was a famine. People were starving and hungry and dying and suffering and distress were everywhere. So Naomi and her husband Elimelech and their two sons Malin and Chilean left their home to go to Moab where there was food. And things were good for a time. Things were looking up. Her two sons get married in Moab. They have food. They make a little life there in Moab. But her suffering was not done. While in Moab, her husband dies. She's widowed and without her best friend and provider. Her two sons die. She suffers the loss of her whole family and is left alone in a foreign land with no family, no prospects or hope, just tears and graves. And so she and her daughter-in-law, Ruth, return to Bethlehem in Israel to make some kind of life after all this tragedy when she gets home, as we read, all these people see her and start wondering, is this Naomi? Is that her? And Naomi says, don't call me Naomi. Call me Mara. Now, Naomi means sweet or pleasant. And Mara means bitter. Naomi says, I don't want to be identified with good things. I have no happiness or goodness left. Why call me pleasant? Call me bitter. Because I am. And she very clearly lays the blame for all that has happened at God's feet. In verse 20, 21, she says, The Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went away full, and the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has testified against me, and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me? And I asked the question to my class that day, and I asked the question to you this morning, Is Naomi Right? Is she right in saying that God has brought calamity on her? The question this text and other texts in the Bible raises is, is God sovereign or in control of our suffering? Is the suffering that Naomi endured and the suffering that we endure governed by God? Or is it out of his control? Is he helpless to stop it? Is Naomi right to say that God brought this calamity and suffering on her or is she wrong? That day, I told my class that I believe the Bible teaches that all suffering is under God's control, that no suffering is purposeless, that it's all allowed by God for his own good and glorious reasons, that God did bring calamity on Naomi, but he also works good and wonderful things through that. And then we'll see that as we go through Ruth and talk more about God's goodness and suffering on Monday. We finished class, and I went home. I was sitting in the driveway when I got the call. I knew immediately the slight pause as Rachel tried to find the words, the hoarseness from crying in her voice. She said, hey, uh, not only had the cancer returned, it had moved to her lung. Metastasized is the medical term. A term you never want to hear because along with it come other awful words, which we heard for ourselves. Stage four, incurable, terminal, Her doctor told her that the average life expectancy for people in her situation is a few years. That was April 1st of 2022, so we're about nine months out from then, and it's already gone by like the blink of an eye. A few years, maybe more, maybe less. We don't know how much time she has, only that it's not nearly as much as we want. I wish I could tell you we've had some kind of miracle that it's all turned out okay, but it hasn't, and in all likelihood it won't. Whether sooner or later the future holds sickness, a casket, a grave, and tears, we will cry and lose and hurt. We have suffered, we are suffering, and we will suffer. I don't tell you all this, this story, to get sympathy or pity or to complain or vent. I tell you that story because I want you to know that as I was in my driveway weeping like a baby, I understood Naomi's words we had studied just that morning in class, words we have read today much better than I ever had before. I know Naomi's struggle. I feel it. The words we're going to look at today, the words I'm going to speak today, don't come from some kind of abstract ivory tower, divorced from the mud and blood of suffering. I know, in part, what Naomi felt, what you feel, what we all feel in suffering. The Lord has dealt very bitterly with me. The Almighty has brought calamity upon me. And the question for us this morning is, is Naomi right? And the theme of my sermon holds that Naomi is right, though her response is wrong. My theme this morning is that God does bring calamity, but through that he is working good and glorious things. And we'll see that this morning as we look at God's power over suffering, his purpose for suffering, and his provision in suffering. Firstly, I want to talk about God's power over suffering. Naomi responds with bitterness and anger. call me Mara. Call me bitter. She's angry with God and bitter at him. it's understandable. But I don't believe that the Bible teaches us that it's a good response, or at least it's not good to stay there. But it is understandable. It's how most of us react to suffering, and I felt that. You felt that at times, but that's not where we need to stay. Some people respond by denying God's sovereignty over suffering, his power over it. They say God's just as surprised and shocked as you are. That God isn't in control of it. God didn't bring calamity on you. God hasn't dealt bitterly with you. Don't say that, Naomi. But that's not the God we see in Scripture. It's a false God. Deuteronomy 32, 39. God says, see now that I, even I, am he, and there is no God beside me. I kill and I make alive. I wound and I heal. And there's none that can deliver out of my hand. Or Isaiah 45, 7. I am the Lord and there is no other. Besides me, there is no God. I form light and create darkness. I make well-being and create calamity. I am the Lord who does all these things. God says, it's me. I'm the one. Who brings calamity? I'm the one who wounds. I am the only God. There's none beside me. Let's consider a better response. Job, Almost everyone thinks of Job when they think of suffering and the scriptures. and you know the story. Job was a good man, the best man in all the earth. He was blessed with great wealth, a loving family, a loving wife, a good life. and Satan challenges God. About Job. And he says, does Job serve God for no reason? Satan says, God, Job only worships you because you give him all this good stuff. Because he has a good life. Because he hasn't suffered. That's why Job loves you. If you take all that stuff away, he'll curse you to your face. And God tells Satan, go. All that he has is in your hand. Only do not touch Job himself. God tells Satan, I'm allowing you to cause suffering. I'm allowing you to go and do what you want to do, destroy and kill. But you are to go this far and no further. And until God gave him that permission, Satan could do nothing. God is in control of Job's suffering. And Job does suffer. Raiders come and steal all his herds and kill his servants. Lightning comes from the sky and burns all his sheep and shepherds. And worst of all, his children were eating and drinking together in their oldest brother's house when a great wind came and struck the house like a tornado, killing every single one of his ten children. And Job gets the news. What does he do? And Job 1.20, Then Job arose and tore his robe and shaved his head and fell on the ground and worshipped. And he said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Job mourns and grieves and acknowledges the Lord has done this. Yet does not turn bitter or curse God to his face, but worships him. Satan challenges God again, skin for skin. All that a man has, he will give for his life Stretch out your hand and touch his bone and his flesh, and he will curse you to your face. And the Lord said to Satan, Behold, he is in your hand. Only spare his life. Loathsome sores cover Job from head to foot. His own body turns against him. His wife, bone of his bone and flesh of his flesh, tells him to just curse God and die. And Job tells her, Shall we receive good from God, and shall we not receive evil? Now, some people say Job is wrong to speak this way about God. That it was Satan who did it, and Job is attributing Satan's evil work to God, and that's wrong. And it was Satan who did it. But immediately after both of Job's statements, the text tells us, in all this, Job did not sin or charge God with wrong. The scripture makes it clear. It knows, as we read it, we'd be tempted to think this, and it says, no, 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 Job is right when he says, The Lord has taken away. That we've received evil from the Lord's hand. The Lord has taken away. Naomi is right. The Lord has brought calamity. There is no other God to blame. There is no other thing out there. Equal to God's power. There's only the Lord. And he says I wound. I kill. I am in control of your suffering. Yes Satan causes it. Responsible for it. But God is in control. He has power. Over all suffering, to send it, to end it, to mend it. No suffering occurs outside of him in his uh, knowledge and power. But God doesn't allow suffering because he delights in hurting people. He doesn't use suffering because he's evil. If suffering is from God, if calamity comes from the Almighty, and it does, as we've seen, then we can know that he has a good purpose for it. God has a purpose in suffering for suffering. There is no purposeless pain or meaningless misery. All suffering you and I endure from stubbing our toes to terminal cancer and everything beyond and in between is for good. We see that all over the Bible. We see it in Naomi, whose suffering brings her back to Bethlehem, where Ruth meets Boaz and through them comes their great grandson, the great King David, and Ultimately, our Savior, Christ, the greatest good. We see it in Joseph, who was sold into slavery by his very own brothers, wrongfully accused of heinous crimes, thrown into prison to rot, mistreated and afflicted without any justification, yet comes to his betraying brothers and says, what you meant for evil, God meant for good. We see it in Paul, whose sufferings worked to spread the gospel and reach all kinds of people, who said, I rejoice in my sufferings because they are for your good. We see it most clearly and most gloriously in our Savior, the descendant of Naomi. Jesus in John 12, 27 says, Now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? But for this purpose I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it, and I will glorify it, uh, glorify it again. And Jesus continues on. Now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. And John tells us that he said this to show by what kind of death, he was going to die. Jesus says, my soul is troubled. I am distressed. I'm going through calamity. I'm about to suffer. I'm going to die. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. That's what I want to say most days. (laughs) God, save us. Deliver us. Get me out of this. I don't want to do this. I don't want to have to go through this. I don't want it. But Jesus, facing a much greater suffering than anything you or I can fathom, said, no. I don't want to escape my suffering. I don't want to escape the cross, the whips, and the thorns, and the infinite fiery wrath of God against sin and death itself. That's, that's why I'm here I have come to this hour for a purpose, he says. My suffering has a divine, wonderful, glorious, good purpose. Satan cast out and crushed underfoot. Sins forgiven and righteousness restored. People from every tribe and tongue and language and nation made right with God. And brought to salvation because of the kind of death he was to die. Because... Of his suffering. His suffering was profoundly meaningful. Intensely purposeful. And all of it was ordained, approved, and governed by God for glorious and good purposes. God's purpose in suffering is to bring about good and glorious things. For us, for others, for the world. I got off the phone with Rachel that day and just wept on my knees. And as I mourned and felt all these things jumbled up in my heart, ancient divine words just came to my mind. One of the first psalms I had ever memorized. I had memorized it many years ago. I knew I wanted to be a pastor and I thought, you know, this would be a good psalm to memorize to help people who are suffering hospital visits and such. It'd be good for me to minister to other people with this psalm. Never thought it'd be used for me until it was. I know now God moved me all those years ago to set it into my mind, into my soul, into my bones, in part for that moment. And I heard, God is our refuge and strength. A very present help in times of trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way. Though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea. Though its waters roar and foam. Though the mountains tremble at its swelling. Though them be still and know I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. That day and many others since have felt as though the earth has given way. As though the mountains, symbols of all the strength and solidity of the world, have been tossed into the depths of the abyss. As though I'm being drowned by chaotic waters swelling and roaring and foaming around me. Many nights have been full of tears and empty of rest. And many days have been empty of sweetness, just bitter, empty I feel the words. Don't call me Naomi. Call me Mara. I understand, sister. I feel it. I know what Naomi felt, what we all feel, what you feel. But my hope in the midst of all this is not ultimately healing. Of course I want and pray for healing. I want Rachel to live a million years. My hope ultimately is not relief. Of course I... Want and I pray to be done with all this and to be happy. But these and all other things I want and pray for are not primarily or necessarily what God provides for us in suffering. I can imagine Satan challenging God. Do Jacob and Rachel serve God for nothing? Doesn't Jacob serve God because you give him a lovely wife? Doesn't Rachel serve God because you gave her her life? Don't they serve you for comfort or health or a good future or children or happiness? Give Rachel terminal cancer and take away all that good stuff and they will curse you to your face. No. No. What God provides us with in suffering isn't Primarily relief, though we may want it, and it isn't primarily comfort, though we may seek it in many places, and it isn't primarily greater faith and endurance, though suffering uh, certainly produces those in God's children. What God provides his people with in suffering is himself. Satan asks God, Does Job serve God for nothing? And Satan doesn't see, he doesn't understand that Job serves God for God because of him i don't i don't want to serve god for stuff i don't want to serve god because he heals or because he gives comfort i want to serve god because he is the lord and there is no other because he will be exalted among the nations he will be exalted in the earth he will be exalted in my and Rachel's and your suffering suffering strips away all the dross and trappings and forces us to contend with the ultimate question of life and faith and everything. Is God enough? Is he enough for us? Though everything be taken from us, though we are destitute, despised, forsaken, though every ambition and hope and dream is crushed, though foes hate us and friends disown us, though Life's trials press down upon us like a world of granite crushing us under its weight. Is it enough to have God as our loving Father? To have the Spirit dwelling within us, to know the love of Christ for us? Is having peace and union with the triune God, knowing that He is using our suffering for His glory and our good, sufficient Or is he not enough for us? Do we need more? I want him to be enough for me. Because he is. Because he is sweet. Because he is all. And in the midst of suffering, we look to him. Saying, Lord, I I don't want this. This hurts. You have dealt bitterly with me. But you give and you take away. Your name is blessed. You are enough. God sovereignly brings suffering into our lives for His good, glorious purposes. And in the suffering He brings, He provides us with the greatest and most satisfying balm, Himself. Knowing Him better, trusting Him more, loving Him deeper. He's more than enough for all of your suffering. Yahweh has brought calamity on me, but... Don't you dare call me Mara, because he is sweet. And he will use this calamity for good, for glory. There's so much more I want to say. I want to talk about all the glorious things he's already been doing and that I've already seen through this suffering, but time would fail to talk of Rachel's steadfast faith and strength, the beauty of her hope in God, the Christ-like love and care of our church, family and friends, and the peace of God in the midst of all this turmoil, the the deeper joy of the Lord's victory over sin and Satan and death, and the, the, the expectation of the coming day when we will have all wrongs righted and every tear wiped from our eye, all this so much beautiful, so much more beautiful, so much more precious, and there's so much more. The suffering has already been for our good and will continue to be for others in ways we can't even imagine. And these are but the outskirts of his ways and the thunder of his power through suffering who can understand. Not us in this life, but we will know, we will see. We will praise him. When he makes all things right, we will understand, we will know exactly what he was doing. We'll see how it was for our good, for his glory. You will suffer. You will. You have. Some of you are. You will. The question is, how will you respond? Will you become bitter and angry with God, find no rest or peace in his good purposes for it, or his supreme worth, like Naomi? Will you think it's all purposeless and meaningless, outside of his control, find no comfort or solace in his power and sovereignty like so many do? Or, will you recognize God's sovereignty over your suffering and cling to him as your all, trusting that he knows what he's doing, that he's using your suffering for good, that even if you don't understand it, even if you don't see it, or struggle to believe his goodness, you will say with Job, though he slay me, yet I will hope in him. Will you join me in prayer as we close. Father, our souls are troubled. You have brought calamity and vexation and suffering to all, us all and what shall we say? Save us from this hour. No. Father, glorify your name. We know that you have and that you will again use our suffering for good. For good testimonies of your power to heal and save and deliver. And for, your, and for good testimonies of your great worth. Above all health, above all goods, above all. Lord, in our sickness and health. In our sweet blessings and bitter sufferings. In our joy, and our grief, in our fullness and emptiness. In our life and in our death. Blessed be your name. Amen.